Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. I'm assuming it's my turn, so... (laughs) I don't need an introduction. I'm glad I don't need an introduction. I'm just glad to be back with you guys. Uh, If you were with us last week, you know we looked at the fact that we don't need a second chance. We need a Savior. And thank God for that. And the responses to the message that I've already gotten from some of you and others who have already listened online, I thank God for what he did. And I pray that he does even more this morning. So would you pray with me that we'd go where God wants us to go? Father, again, I, I thank you for the privilege of being able to come and stand before these folks and to share your word But Lord, at the same time, as I just said, this is your word, not Jim's word. I don't have a word for the people. You do. And so, Lord, as your mouthpiece today, I thank you that you have gifted me in such a way and at the same time have been teaching me how to preach in your spirit, under your leadership, so so that what comes out of my mouth is you and not what I've prepared. Lord, I ask for that to happen again today in the way in which you have so many times, and I just thank you for that. We look forward to what you're going to show us. I know what you've put on my heart, but at the same time, I can't communicate it in such a way that people understand it. Things of the Spirit are only understood through the Spirit. And so, Father, today, open our eyes and our ears to the depth of what you want us to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. I love how the worship team led us in a big section of the passage we're going to be studying. God's so awesome. He, I hadn't told anybody where I was going until I was contacted by Nina, and she said, uh, do you know where you're going? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but I might be going here. And she goes, wow, that, we've already picked that passage for our worship. And I thought, okay, God, that's where I'm going. So uh, Nina's voice is, and God's voice are not exactly the same, but I guess you're curious. I just In the beginning, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now we're going to jump over verses 10 and following, but we're going to come back to them later in the message. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, like I said, if you were with us last week, you saw that the name of Jesus means what? Means Savior. Well, we're going to learn a whole lot more about Jesus today from this passage Here we see that the scripture starts off that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then the very next verse starts with what? Does anybody see it? He. It's not an accident. 
That as John is describing God to these people, he is actually writing mainly to the Greeks. And John, when he wrote to the Greeks, understood that they had this word that they used. The word was logos. And the Greek philosophers believed in this controlling force that's there in the universe. And they called that the logos. And he said that the logos was in the beginning. And the, the logos was with God. And the logos was God. And then it says, he he lets them know that the Logos, this controlling force that they believed in, God himself is a he. And it says, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to talk to you about something you already know, but maybe you don't. Or maybe you know this, but you don't know it to the level that we're going to see it. Jesus is God. Jesus was God, Jesus has always been God, and Jesus will forever be God. Now, I'm going to share this with you because actually, years ago when I was preaching in Chicago, as pastor of a church in Chicago, and I was preaching there, and there was a man in his 80s who actually came to me. He'd been a church member for most of his life. He came to me one day, and he came to my office, and he said, I got a problem, pastor. I said, what's that? He said, you keep acting like Jesus has always existed. Don't you know that Jesus didn't come on the scene until Mary gave birth to him? And I started to realize this man doesn't understand that Jesus is God. So what I want to do is I'm going to share with you some of the scriptures that I shared with this man. Because there might be some of you here that don't fully understand, even though we say Jesus is God. I want to show you from scripture how we can know that he's God. All right. So go down to verse 18. Here John says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side he has made him known. Now, that, that sounds a little confusing, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning was this Word, and no one's ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side, He's made Him known. Folks, let me just tell you something. The Bible teaches us, go with me to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible teaches us that God has always existed in three persons. Genesis chapter 1, look at verses 26 and 27. And by the way, could you turn a little bit more lights for me up here? I'm the blind preacher. That, oh, very good. Thank you. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let what? Us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So hang on for a second. God said, let us make man in our image. So do we have more than one God? No, let the scripture teach you about that. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, look at verse four. The Shema that the Jews all had to learn from childhood Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God, but he's always manifested himself in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we already saw in Genesis, if you don't remember, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, who made the heavens and the earth? God made the heavens and the earth. Yet at the same time, the Bible also talks about how the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. 
And at the same time, we also saw here in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the one who made everything. There wasn't anything made that wasn't made by him. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and let's get it clarified a little bit more. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 15 through 20. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And by the way, the word firstborn means preeminent, the most highly favored. It doesn't mean he was the first one born. It just means he was the most highly favored. You'll see that same thing in the book of Hebrews when it talks about Abraham and his son Isaac. Isaac wasn't the firstborn in lineage. Ishmael was his firstborn son. But Isaac was, in Hebrews, described in that same word here, firstborn. He was the chosen. He was the preeminent, the highly favored. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for, all, for him. So who made the world? Did God the Father make the world? Did God the Son make the world? Or did God the Holy Spirit make the world? The answer is yes. Good, good, good answer. Years ago, when I was look, being looked at to be ordained, uh, I was underneath the ordination council and hours of being grilled on my scripture knowledge. And there was this one man on the council who thought I was too young. And his, perfect, his purpose was to try to prove that I wasn't ready. And so he asked me this question. He said, who raised Jesus from the dead? Did the Father raise him from the dead? Did the Son raise himself from the dead? Or did the Holy Spirit raise him from the dead? And I said, all three. He said, wrong. He said, Jesus said, no man takes my life. I have the authority to lay it down and I raise it up again. Jesus said he raised himself from the dead. And I said, whoa, whoa, hang on for a second. Doesn't it say also in Romans that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead also rises? Up? So here the scripture says the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And here I can show you over here where it says the Father raised him from the dead. Folks, don't get caught up in all these people that try to separate the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have you prayed in the name of Jesus? Or have you prayed in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Anybody that tries to divide God's going to mess you up. Don't even go there. Who do I pray to? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? He's God. He's always manifested himself in three persons. He's always been that way, but he's always been one God. But you want further proof that Jesus is God? Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments... It says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or, or that is on the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God, when he gave the Ten Commandments, one of the first ones was, you'll have no other gods and you are not to bow down to anyone but me. Good? You, you understand that, right? That's pretty clear. It's not vague. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that every knee is going to bow to Jesus and should bow to Jesus. If the Bible and God himself who said you should bow to no one but God and he then says you're to bow to Jesus. What does that tell us? Jesus is God. You know what? I had the privilege of doing that day in my office with that 80 year old man. Leading him to faith in Jesus Christ. Even though he'd been a church member his whole life, he thought Jesus was just a man who had done some amazing things. He had never understood that Jesus was God. Folks. This Savior we talked about last week, he's not a really good guy. He's God. He's God. Go back to John chapter 1. We'll see a little bit more about him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I, I just got to say something real quick about this, and then we'll get into life and light. I love how the fact that John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And would we not agree that the world's pretty dark? Never going to be too dark for Jesus. Never going to be too dark for Jesus. It doesn't matter how much sin there is. His grace is greater. On top of that, let me just encourage you with something that I've been hearing in my travels around the country as I travel around to encourage the churches and get them back to the Word of God and to walking in the Spirit. Let me just tell you something that I'm hearing that I want you to not get sucked into. I hear a lot of people say the church is dying. You ever heard people say that? The church is dying today. The church is struggling. The church is actually dwindling. The church is declining. You ever heard those, that stuff? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me just tell you something. What you may be looking at if it's declining and dying is not the church. It's what people have made the church to be. And when, when people start making the church to be something God never intended it to be, don't be surprised if it's of man and it dies. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. The darkness will not overcome the light. And those of us who are of the true church, those of us who are really followers of Jesus Christ, who have him living within us, the real church, the gates of hell isn't going to stop it, folks. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of man's church that may go up and down and around. I want to be a part of what's of God and will continue. That was free. Let's get back to our message. All right. John chapter one, he says in verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now, in him was life and light, the scripture says. Now, yes, physically, it, it's talking about that a little bit, not much. Because if Jesus created all things, in him is physical life and in him, in him is physical light. Because as, as you know, isn't he, he the one that was involved in the whole process of let there be light. But I believe that more than the physical, God through John is talking about spiritual life and spiritual light. Do you know that it's possible to be physically alive and spiritually dead? Back in the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, the moment you eat from this tree that I've told you not to eat from, you will die. On the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, did they physically die when they ate of that tree? No, but they did die spiritually. 
They lost their ability to be connected with God, and they were now spiritually dead and unable to be in his presence, and he had to remove them from his presence. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 9. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By the way, did you catch that? In the coming ages, he's going to show his immeasurable grace toward us. You think you love in his grace now? <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so no one may boast. Folks, before you and I were saved, we were dead. Even though physically we were alive and maybe super healthy, we were dead spiritually. You can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. Oh, I got also some really cool news. You can be physically dead and spiritually alive. That's why Paul, when he was wrestling whether or not he was going to live or die in Philippians chapter 1, when he was sitting in that prison, he was sitting there and he was torn between dying and going to heaven to be with Christ, which is better by far, or staying in the body. Most of us would say, I don't want to die. I, I got to be honest with you. My wife and kids, they get tired of hearing it. I'm okay with getting older. You can ask me how old I am. I'm 53. And people say, why are you excited about being old? I love being old because I'm a day closer to heaven. It's real. I'm going there. A lot of times when my wife says, do you really need that second helping? I'll say, heaven's real. <laughs> I'm just prepping her for Christmas and everything. Go to John chapter 11. Look at verses 25 and following. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the what? The life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Listen to what he said. He said, if you believe in him, even if we die, we're going to live. We won't experience a second death. That's what the Bible calls those who actually are physically dead and spiritually dead. They experience the second death, which is separation from God for eternity in the lake of fire. So in Jesus, don't miss this. We're going somewhere with this. I'm building a foundation for where we're going to end up this morning. In Jesus is life and light. Now, John tells us here that John the Baptist, the man sent from God, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jump down to verse 15. 
In verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John says, look, there was a guy that God sent before Jesus came to prepare the way for people to be ready to respond to Jesus. And he was not the light. He just came as a witness to the light. Now, I'm not going to go into too much more detail on that because I'm going to say something more about that in a few minutes. And that's going to be helpful for you. But keep in mind, he wasn't the light. He came to bear witness about the light. All right. Now, jump down to verse 14. Remember how we just saw in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 14 says in the word, remember, that's he, that's Jesus. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, when John says we've seen his glory, he means it in two ways, just like Peter could say it in two ways, and James could see it, say it in two ways. You see, if you were to go back and take a look at it later on, in Matthew chapter 17, you'll see that there was a time right before the cross that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain with him, and he was transfigured. His glory, his godness showed through his flesh, and his face shone, his clothes shone, his body shone, and the Father actually showed up in, in his Shekinah glory and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased and they saw his glory. Listen to how Peter talks about it. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 16. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the God the Father and the voice that was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Hear what Peter's saying? He said, guys, what I'm talking to you about isn't something man's come up with that's real creative and they've come up with a wonderful scheme to make this believable doctrine. No, we saw it firsthand. By the way, that's almost word for word what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. After he met Jesus face to face, he didn't go and consult with man, but he went out into the desert of Arabia for three years and he was taught by Jesus face to face. When John says we've seen his glory, he and Peter are talking about the glory that he showed on the mountain, but he's showing more than that. He's talking more than just the glory they saw on the mountain. You see, because Jesus came and he showed the glory of God. Well, how did he show the glory of God? We didn't see his glory. Other people didn't get to see him shine like that. Oh, let the scripture speak. We've seen his glory full of what? Grace and truth. Go with me to Exodus Chapter 33. Go to Exodus 33. Everything in me wants to preach on the verses just prior to where we're going to start. We're going to start in verse 18. And the verses just prior to where we're going to read, Moses is talking to God. And God says, I found, you found favor with me. And, and Moses says, look, show me your ways so that I'll know that I found favor with you. And go with us everywhere we go. Because that's what's going to distinguish us from all the other people on the earth, is that you're with us. Boy, my prayers, that's your prayer every morning. God, go with me today. 
You are with me. You'll never leave me or forsake me. But I'm acknowledging your presence and I'm not going to live for you. I want you to lead. So then Moses prays this prayer to God and he says this in verse 18. He said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my left hand. Sorry, with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Look at chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and what? Gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. When Moses said to God, show me your glory, God says, I tell you what, I'll let you see the goodness side of me. Because God is also a God of justice and holiness and wrath. And he says, if you saw that side of me, you'd die. You can't see that side of me unless you are declared righteous. So I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. So I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I'm going to walk by you. And I'm going to let you see my backside. And then the Lord passed by and the Lord declares his name. He said, I'm a God of graciousness. Steadfast love, mercy, forgiveness. By the way, who does that sound like that walked on this earth? Jesus. We've seen his glory. Don't think that that just means that his body glowed. No, we've seen his glory because Jesus has lived on the earth who is God himself taking on flesh and he has displayed the glory of God. I could take you for hours and show you all the passages that talk about how I and the Father are one and all this kind of stuff. But when Jesus walked on the earth, he was displaying the glory of God. We've seen his glory. Full of grace and truth. But then... John says something interesting a couple verses later. Look at verse 17. Yeah, John chapter 1. John says something very interesting here in verse, verse 17 in John chapter 1. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now hang on for a second. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. So is John saying... That the law wasn't truth? Well, it's a tricky question. I'm going to show you from Scripture, the law is truth, but it's not the truth. The law is true, and it's holy, and it's right, and good. But it's not the truth. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Romans chapter 7. Start in verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive. 
But if her husband dies, she is free from that law if she marries another man, for she's not an adulteress. Likewise, or in the same way, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Remember, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. You have been, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, our body parts, to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Buddy, I could just take a year on that verse right there and deal with the church today. Unfortunately, many of our churches have gone back into dealing with each other in the old way of the written code versus the new way of the spirit. With all our rules and regulations and you're not allowed to bring something into the sanctuary and we're judging how you dress. And we think that righteousness is produced through rules and written code. Not. We need to be dealing with each other, listening to the spirit in each situation prayerfully. Lord, how would you have us handle this situation? We still need to deal with sin. Yet at the same time, we need to do it through the spirit and not through the written code. How many of our churches today are governed by our bylaws and manual and constitution instead of the spirit? But I digress. So what he just said, though, was he said that the law aroused our sinful passions. We talked about that last week when you were here. If you remember, we talked about how Paul said, I didn't even know what coveting was until the law said, don't covet. We're about to just read it. The law fuels sin. Well, then Paul asked this question in verse 7. Then what shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had been not for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good did that which is good then bring death to me by no means it was sin producing death in me through that which is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure he says look folks don't don't miss this the law Produced sin in me because it gave a command and my sinful flesh never wants anybody to tell me what to do. Never wants anybody to be in charge of my life except me. And when the law said thou shalt not, now I'm going to do it. And when the law said you should, my flesh said, yeah, good luck with that. Because my flesh wants to be in charge and I don't want anybody telling me what to do or not to do. And when the law came... That sinful part of me, that sinful nature that I have came to life and I died. So is the law bad? No, the law is holy and good. But the law, as true as it is, has a problem. Romans 8 tells us what it is. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jump down to verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you and anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. Listen to me, folks. The law came through Moses. Was the law right and holy and true? Yes. Was it the truth? No, because it was limited because of man's flesh and because of man's sin. But guess who shows up on scene? The truth. Oh, he took on human form. He lived in a human body. He met all the righteous requirements of the law because he was not only man, but he was also God. And he was not only man, he was born of a virgin and his father was God. And therefore that sinful flesh had not been passed on to him. That's why it's important that he be born of a virgin. Because if he was born of a man, it had already passed on to him from Adam and he already had it in him. But that's why he was born of a virgin. And he met all the requirements of the law. He died. He rose from the dead. And he says, anyone who believes that I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me, I will declare you righteous. And in you will be life and light. Isn't that awesome? Now, Let's go back to the verses I skipped over in our time that we have left here. In John chapter 1, verse 10 and following. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, that's the Jews, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's what I want to talk to you about in the time we have left this morning. Think about what this passage is saying. Think about all that God has done to make you right before him. God, who has always existed before the beginning of what we know as the universe and time, chose by his own plan and goodness to create a universe. And within that universe, he made a planet called Earth. And on that planet, he created human beings in his image. And he gave them a choice of whether or not they were going to obey him or listen to the enemy. And they listened to the enemy. But the Bible says that God had planned before the foundation of the world to already reconcile that problem he knew was going to happen. And he became human himself. He took on our form. He limited himself. He humbled himself, as we saw in Philippians chapter 2. And he lived on this earth, and he was put to death for the sins of the world. And then he rose from the dead by his own power. And he displayed the glory of God, his graciousness, his mercy, his willingness to forgive iniquity. And even though the world was made by him, the Bible says, narrows the road that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many go that way. Even though the world was made by him, 
world did not receive him for the most part. They've all rejected him and they used his name as a curse word. That's why a lot of times I've told my kids, I don't even like you saying geez. I don't even want to even come close to using my father's name. My savior's name is a curse word. Years ago, I was playing golf and this guy kept using the Lord's name in vain in that way. And finally, I just, after a few holes, turned to him and I said, can I ask you a question? He said, what's that? I go, most people would agree, whether they believe he's God or not, that Jesus probably was one of the greatest men who ever lived on the earth. He said, I'd go there. I said, then how come we use his name as a curse when we're angry? How come we don't say Mussolini or Hitler or something like that? He goes, were you a preacher? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to try to do better. I said, good luck with that. He even came to his own people. His own people had been given the law, had been given the commandments, had been given the sacrificial system, all these things that were pointing to him. They had been given even more light. He came to his own people. He actually was fulfilling scripture and prophecy in their midst, left and right. And his own people were the ones involved in the process of having him put to death. Something kind of cool happened Thursday night, and I've been wanting to tell everybody. A couple took me and Becky out to dinner to BJ's on 192. And when we were after dinner, the husband of the couple said, I made dessert. Thinking, that's weird. We're at a restaurant and you brought dessert. And he brings out this little package of four little tarts that he made. And we said, thank you. I'm not really a sweets person. But, you know, you give it to me, I'll eat it. Heaven is real. So <laughs> when we had taken the four tarts out of the package, there was a piece of paper in the bottom of the package, and it said, Merry Christmas. I opened it, and on the inside it says, take your wife to the masters this year. Pick any day you want. Now, some of you don't know me. I'm a golfer. No, it doesn't say it. I'm a golf addict. I love golf. And I've actually had the privilege of going to the Masters before. The frustrating thing is, after having been there and seen it, I could never describe it to my wife. I'll watch it on TV, and I'll try to put into words what it looks like, and I'll say that. TV doesn't show how hilly it really is. Or that's not even the color. You got to be there. And it was frustrating. I've been praying for years. God, give me one more chance to go to the Masters. I want to bring Becky. And Thursday, I open it, and my prayer was answered. I told him no. Now, I know a lot of you are shocked. Why in the world would you tell him no? I didn't tell him no. I'm not stupid. I said, yes, yes, yes. And I about wet myself in the booth. I was so excited. I actually was causing a scene in the restaurant. They were laughing. They were so happy to see my reaction. I wasn't putting it on. Folks, I've been dying to get to this part of the message to tell you I'm going to the Masters and I'm going to be on Sunday. I can't wait. 
God has done all this for us. Why would you say no? Oh, and in closing, Christians, you have been given a daily relationship with this Savior who not only did all that to reconcile you to himself, he on top of that put his spirit within you so that he would live his life through you. You go spend some time in Exodus 33 and start reading verses 1 and following, and you begin to pray every day, Lord, if you don't go with me, don't send me out. Why would you say no on a daily basis to your Savior? He gave the right to become children to those who will believe in his name. Would you stand as we close? I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. I'm going to ask the counselors to come on down to the front. However God wants you to respond to this, if you need to be saved today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior today, if you want to say yes to the greatest Christmas gift on Christmas, come now and say yes. Don't even wait for the song. Come see one of these people. They'll pray with you. Some of you might want to just come and pray and say, Lord, you've given me this Savior and then I'm living my life on my own. How foolish would it be to say no to the gift of the masters? It's a thousand, ten thousand, seven hundred thousand times worse to say no to Jesus' gift. Father, thank you for this chance to come today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you aren't a God of second chances. You are God who gives us a savior. And we celebrate that today. And whatever that means in our response, we now respond as we sing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.